You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's going on, everyone? Nick Filato and Chris Flum here for the Chris and Nick Show to go over the film of the Giants' loss to the Dallas Cowboys by a score of 28-20. to 20. Chris, how are you doing, my friend? Yeah, I'm doing well. Still enjoying a few uh, Thanksgiving leftovers over here. How you doing? I'm doing excellent. Unfortunately, the Giants were not able to pull off this upset in Jerry World. They leave Week 12 with a loss. But let's dive right into the tape here because we have some good observations from the offensive and the defensive side of the football. And I think from an offensive standpoint, it was clear what the New York Giants wanted to do, and it was not a surprise. Obviously, they want to run the football. They want to build their offense around Saquon Barkley. But in doing so, their passing attack also revolves around Saquon Barkley, but not necessarily using Barkley as a receiver, albeit they did that a few different times in this game. It was based off the play action passing attack, get Daniel Jones rolling, and then having a backside tight end, a sniffer, an H-back, whatever you want to call him, sometimes a wide receiver coming underneath Daniel Jones to give this quarterback an easy check down option off of a three-level read with backside routes coming across the defensive formation because the defense was playing the run. We saw this a lot early in the game and then early in the second half from the New York football giants. And I think one reason why they wanted to do this was not just to get Daniel Jones easy completions to matriculate the ball down the field, whatever you want to say, but it was also to just not allow Micah Parsons to have an immediate impact, not allow this Dallas pass rush to just pin their ears back and get after Daniel Jones. Instead, use Daniel Jones' best rate get him out on the run, and then also, if he doesn't like anything, he can use his athletic ability to pick up yards with his legs. I felt like the Giants had some success early with these types of plays, and it started with that first play, a 20-yard gain to Lawrence Cager. Yeah, this was a, a style of offense. We saw a lot from the Giants over their 7-2 and two start, you know, the that first part of the season when really nobody was able to defend the Giants offense well. They were they were never an explosive offense, but once they were able to get a little bit of traction, get moving, they were really difficult to stop. And a big part of that was this play action boot game that used Saquon Barkley as a as a distraction, as a uh, as a as a piece of misdirection. For the defense and then got Daniel Jones out on the edge, out in space, let him use his athleticism, stay away from the pressure, get those easy completions. And then he would also always have the green light to scramble. And like you said, in the first first half of this game, it was very effective because Dallas did not want to let Saquon Barkley beat them. So they keyed on him hard. And oftentimes that got defenders way way out of position and the Giants had some really easy completions there especially in the first quarter and the first and the first half overall the one thing I did notice is 
Daniel Jones actually used his legs to extend plays a few times as opposed to immediately transitioning to becoming a runner if those quick passes weren't immediately there. And I think that's when you really noticed the stress that those plays place on the defense. I think the best microcosm of what you're talking about is the pass play to Chris Myrick that ended up going for 23 yards. And Chris Myrick was just blocking down like we saw so many times to the roll side that we saw so many times from Daniel Bellinger in the past. He blocked his defender down and then he released and very smart play by Chris Myrick to see how so many Dallas defenders were clamped on the wide receivers and up towards the line of scrimmage coming at Daniel Jones. So he angled his route upward into a huge voided space. I felt like that was a great play from Myrick from a mental processing standpoint to get open. And it's exactly what you were just alluding to. And if you also, Chris, look at the touchdown pass to Isaiah Hodgins that was unfortunately called back by a very ticky-tacky type of penalty. The penalty is not instituted and mandated to to throw flags on a play like this against Tyree Phillips, who was engaged with a blocker. So I think it was a pretty egregious call. Ross Tucker kind of echoed the same sentiments on his Twitter, former NFL offensive lineman. But if you watch that play, I felt like the New York Giants did an excellent job using a play action counter run, pulling Mark Lewinsky, selling counter. And if you watch the Dallas second level defenders, they all over pursue like crazy because the counter element the first element of that is to fake the run to the right so all dallas linebackers just clamp to the right and then they see daniel jones open his hips to the left saquon barkley go right behind mark Lewinsky, and everybody over pursued you have isaiah hodgins coming from the backside richie james in the flat to occupy two defenders with daniel jones rolling to that flat side isaiah hodgins intermediate route just comes open because darius slayton is occupying the safety and that other deep defender very well scripted well-designed play by Mike Kafka, unfortunately, it gets called back. And that is a huge part of the game right there because it takes four points off the board. Yeah, and I, I've seen some uh, some criticisms of Mike Kafka from fans about this game. And a, a lot of it basically boils down to, oh, he's being too predictable. He's being too conservative. But when you look at this offense as a whole, the way it's constructed and the pieces with which is it is constructed. You look at the offensive linemen, you look at Daniel Jones, you look at the receivers and what Mike Kafka and Brian Dayball have to work with. And this kind of is their best option for running an offense. It uses as many pieces as possible to their strengths or their greatest strengths as possible. Yeah, I have no issue with Mike Kafka as a coordinator, that doesn't mean I don't disagree with certain calls in certain situations. Some of these second and long runs to set up third and manageable situations. Sometimes I wish they let it rip, but there are times in this game too, if we're going to be fair, where it was second and six, second and seven, and Mike Kafka hit a, tried to hit a play action pass and Daniel Jones was sacked. So it's a double-edged sword. I have no issue with Mike Kafka as a coordinator at all. I think one reason why the New York Giants are in playoff contention right now is because of Mike Kafka. And I'm not going to sit here and advocate that he gets cut as a coordinator. I think that's a ridiculous take personally. And another thing too, Chris, just because we're talking about the identity and philosophy of the New York Giants offense, it's built around running the football. Look, this offensive line is struggling right now. And if you, if you see the tape, it seems like a lot of these duo concepts and these concepts where the Giants are, are going to block 
double team a three technique, double team a one technique because they face a lot of over fronts against the Dan Quinn defense, which is four down front, three technique to the strength, one technique to the backside. It just seemed like those defenders, Odigi Zua, Gallimore, Carlos Watkins, they were doing such a good job just splitting the double teams, right? And I think one big reason for that is the lack of continuity. You had three different starting offensive linemen out there with Tyree Phillips, Jack Anderson, and Nick Gates, guys who are not typically starters. But it also seems like teams are just understanding how to take advantage of the interior parts of this line to either slant in one direction to penetrate or to just absolutely. <laughs> I mean, if you look at Jack Anderson in that case, just kind of use their strength to, to defeat these blocks up front. And I feel like that's been one primary issue in the beginning of the year. That wasn't necessarily happening. The giants were having success running up the middle. They were having success running to the side, but right now, Chris, it's, it's tough sledding trying to trying to block in the middle of the field with this interior offensive line. But there's one player that is it's not his fault because he had really good tape. And that is, of course, Mr. Nick Gates. Yeah, the, I, you're, there's two different things to talk about here. First, the offensive line as a whole, they had a bad, bad game against against Dallas. I even Andrew Thomas, the stud on this offensive line. He struggled. Uh, I'm not going to put the first sack on him, even though he was blocking Micah Parsons. You know, Parsons was his guy, and Parsons got the sack. Yeah, that was just two great players going at it, and Parsons won eventually. <laughs> yeah, normally that is probably a draw. The second sack, yeah, that one was on Andrew Thomas, and there were a few times throughout the game where I saw. Thomas kind of slipped back into his old bad habits where he would get way out over his toes, uh, do some waist bending, lose his leverage, uh, wind up on the ground in cases where over the last year or so, he really hasn't wound up on the ground where he's been able to keep his feet, keep his leverage and make effective blocks. So that's just something I think, the Giants have to pay attention to. Hopefully this mini bye week, he, those issues will get rectified. But then talking about Nick Gates, man, he had himself a hell of a game. And you say he's a player who isn't, hasn't been a starter for the Giants. I think there's a very good argument that he could replace John Feliciano as the Giants starting center after this game because he was consistently effective. I think he should. And I think that is a good quote unquote problem to have at the moment because both the left guard and the right guard position are up in the air. I think if Josh Azudu is healthy, he should be the starting left guard from here on out. And if Ben Bredesen is healthy, I think he should be in the conversation if he's cross-trained enough and all of that to play right guard. But I also think John Feliciano should be at least in the conversation to play either guard spot as well. And the Giants just need to find their best five to field. And I don't think there is a reasonable argument right now to suggest that Nick Gates isn't among those best five. Now, is it at center? Is it at guard? Look, I feel like he played really well at center here, but I'll say this is, and we talked about this before the podcast, he didn't face an odd front, which is traditionally the fronts that have given him some issue because an odd front means you're going to be going up against a nose. A nose is typically 325, 330 pounds. And instead of having that angle that you can block on where you can use your athletic ability to, to take advantage of blocking down on a one technique or even reaching a three technique, you have to just absorb that power right after snapping the football. Nick Gates can fully do that, but it's not the most 
easy block to execute. I would argue that Gates probably has a better anchor than Feliciano. Would you agree with that, Chris? Yes, I definitely would. Now, that's not a super high bar because we have seen Feliciano kind of get put on skates at times this year, and it's not just against any one defender. He's It happens, I think, at least once a game every week he's started. Yeah, That's not taking a shot at Feliciano, but he's not a natural center. No, he's not a natural center, and most of the reps he's had throughout his career, his long career, have been at right guard. So I think there should at least be a conversation to possibly replace Mark Lewinsky at some point. I think heading into week 13, Lewinsky should get the first crack. But Chris, man, going over the film every week, specifically in pass protection, Lewinsky has been an issue, and the Giants have options on the interior offensive line. Albeit the options might not be the most sexy options, but when you have a guy like Nick Gates, who is just revered in that locker room, has overcome so much, is the definition of perseverance, step in in his first game back and play the way he did as a run blocker. He was the second highest graded run blocker, according to Pro Football Focus, this season for the New York Giants. The only player who graded higher than him was Andrew Thomas in week two against Carolina. Now, that's pro football focus, but we also watch the tape, and you can just see how he's moving and how he's executing his blocks, and he's not the issue in pass protection. It's not like he had glaring issues in pass protection, and he had Jack Anderson starting on one side, and Mark Lewinsky was not good in pass protection starting on the other. So all things considered, I think it would be very difficult for the New York Giants to head in to this game against the Commanders without Nick Gates as the starting center. Yeah, and that's even if Feliciano is healthy and good to go for this game. We hope, you know, we hope the Giants are able to get healthy given the extra couple days of rest, but just the the way their injury report has looked, I, I'm not sure we can take anything for granted right now. And you know, th- this is a difficult matchup the Giants do have coming, which we will be getting into when we preview that matchup specifically. But I'm right there with you. Give Nick Gates the first crack at being a center. I'm also right there with you. They need to find their best best starting five or eventually their best three for the interior offensive line. Now, I would say December isn't exactly the ideal time to be confronting that problem. That's more of a uh, July-August problem, ideally. But... They have to deal with issues as they come up. I agree with you, but you're right. You have to deal with issues coming up. You have healthy guys coming back. And I'm also not a believer in just stubbornly sticking with what you with what has not worked when you have other options. And I think the Giants will go in that direction. And also we'll get into something a little bit later on on the commanders, but Deron Payne has historically given the Giants interior offensive line, specifically Nick Gates, kind of fits in the past. So we'll have to wait and see. But I want to get into one of the most pivotal plays in this matchup. And that was the fourth and one miss. I love the fact that this coaching staff, Brian Dable, elected to go for it in that situation. It's the second half. You need a spark. You can pick up one yard. And I felt like Mike Kafka dialed up the perfect play against man coverage to get Saquon Barkley in space. A lot of people say it could have been a touchdown. Maybe, but I think that safety might have had the angle, but you have Saquon Barkley. He could break a long run. He can juke back inside. He's a fantastic athlete. But unfortunately, Daniel Jones puts the ball slightly inside, still catchable in my opinion. 
Saquon Barkley does not catch this football and it ends up going incomplete. And that was a backbreaking play in this game. Yeah, it really was. That we know that play was a good call for that situation because Dallas used basically the exact same play a little bit later in the game, and it was very effective for them. Yeah, the Giants had options there. They didn't have to go with the pass play. I, I think given their team identity, the situation, and all of that, it was less expected for them to throw the ball than to run the ball. So going for the pass is probably the better choice there. I'm with you. I think going for the trying to convert the fourth down was absolutely the correct choice there. It, it had being aggressive has paid off for the giants throughout the season and they had no reason not to be aggressive there. That was not a well-placed throw. I'm not going to ding Barkley too badly for not coming up with that because it would have to have been a pretty amazing catch for him to haul that in just based on his momentum, where the ball was placed low and like down by his right butt cheek. You know, that's, that's a tough catch to make even, even for a wide receiver. That's a tough catch to make, let alone a running back. And you know, we did see Daniel Jones be erratic with his throws, specifically to the right outside of the numbers like that. But there were some erratic passes really all over the field and throughout the game. You know, one you brought up was, I believe it was the Giants' second drive right after the Rodarius Williams interception. Jones had a fairly similar miss to Richie James where he had to lay out to just barely graze the graze the ball there was a third and four which was on the third drive this is after yeah it's the third giants drive it's right after the rodarius williams interception and you gotta even look at the start of this game chris right the cowboys turned the football over on downs because they went forward on a fourth and two and cave on thibodeau and jalen smith made a great play that was a really Head scratching call in that type of situation by Mike McCarthy. And then their next drive, they throw an interception. But the Giants were only able to turn those two Dallas offensive mistakes into three points. They got gifted the football in their in in Dallas's end, you know, with, with that with that turnover on downs. And then after the Rodarius Williams interception, the Giants offense goes three and out. Like that's how you reward your defense. And the primary culprit is that third and four play where Daniel Jones just overthrew Richie James, who had all the leverage in the world, probably would have had like a 10 to 12 yard gain, but the ball was just erratic, as you said. And there was another play a little bit later on in the game where it was the same exact route concept to Richie James outside and James extended and made a very, very impressive catch. But for whatever reason, Jones was was off target throwing to his right, which isn't typically consistent with Jones throughout his career, but it was pretty bad against Dallas. Yeah, it was. Now, I, I think we could talk about that Mike Carthy decision uh, when we get to the defensive side of the ball, but Jones... I think this week and the previous week against the Lions, he has made some, I would say, head-scratchingly erratic throws, just almost randomly erratic. He could make a great throw, like that 44-yard pass to Darius Slayton or the pass to Lawrence Cager or the one we talked about earlier to Chris Myrick. Those were not 
the, or I would say those were good, well-placed throws down the field. But then in s- fairly similar situations, you saw him throw low or throw high. Uh, I'm thinking back to the interception that was in the direction of Cager last week against the Lions, where he threw the ball about four feet over Cager's head, where even as big as he is, he couldn't elevate to go get it. And then you have the the low pass to Barkley, the multiple wide passes to Richie James. And yeah, I'm not even really seeing a rhyme or reason with it. Now, maybe with more looks at the tape, more data points, we'll be able to figure out what is happening in those situations. But it's just kind of weird where all of a sudden the ball almost seemingly gets away from him or his mechanics go suddenly wonky. Yeah, it's it's been a rough couple days for Daniel Jones from a ball placement standpoint. And this loss isn't on Daniel Jones either. I don't think Chris and I are are, are stating that. It's just there have been a couple gotta-have-it moments over the last couple weeks, and Daniel Jones didn't seize said moment. And in the past, this season, he typically did. So it's just something to note going forward. But there's another player who is struggling, Chris, and it's unfortunate to see because he, as we've said, is the identity of this offense. He is the engine that makes this offense go. And that is Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley was bottled up here against the Dallas Cowboys. He only gained 39 yards on 11 carries, had that touchdown, which was due to a short field where he was able to punch it in. Good job by Saquon Barkley and the Giants offensive line there. But over the last few weeks, ever since basically that Texans game, Saquon Barkley has looked a little bit tired. Do you have any concern or do you agree with uh, this take? Yeah, I did notice he didn't have the same kind of immediate explosiveness that we had seen from him earlier in the season. Yeah, I don't have a doubt that he still has the same long speed, but he doesn't seem to be making defenders miss in a phone booth quite like he had been previously, where he would just all of a sudden explode in a new direction, uh, break angles, break ankles, and be able to break those long runs that we got used to seeing from him again. Now, part of it, I do believe, was the offensive line struggling. He just didn't have a whole lot of room or a whole lot of time to work. Also, Dallas stacked the box more than we had seen in previous games. You know, against the Lions, he... Saquon Barkley only saw one eight-man box. This time, Dallas had uh, had an eight-man box box on thirty percent of his runs. So that's six times as mu- as many runs against a heavy box than he saw against the Lions. So there's just that many more defenders in the area to make miss, and that many more guys to rally towards the ball. But also. Saquon Barkley's touched the ball a lot this year. I thought the Giants might make heavier use of Matt Breida when they brought him in, but he has only very rarely spelled Barkley this year. And Barkley has been running very physical, much more physical than previous years for the Giants. And I do wonder if all of those touches, the receptions, all of those runs between the tackles are just kind of catching up to him a little bit because he was heading just headlong 
he was sprinting towards 430 or 450 touches on the season. And that's going to wear you down. It's going to wear you down. And it's something that I hope this extended week off, essentially this, this quasi bye week will give Saquon Barkley enough time to recuperate so he can come out against the commanders, which is a really tough defensive front to run against and kind of reestablish himself as, as being fully healthy. And all these questions can be quelled. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. Look, Saquon Barkley is a phenomenal athlete. He's a phenomenal running back, but if the Giants can't generate a rushing attack, and some of these runs, it's not on Saquon Barkley. It's not like he's missing holes. There are guys right in the back of his lap, so it's on the offensive line as well. It's just, as you said, and I feel like you're really right, that happened in, earlier in the season, but Saquon Barkley still made people miss in a phone booth, so let's hope we can kind of get back to seeing that against the Commanders because the Giants are going to need it. That is a pivotal game. But Before we get to the defense, Chris, we should probably bring up these Giants wide receivers. Look, Darius Slayton has played fantastic football. This guy was buried on the depth chart, was going to be a cap casualty, took a pay cut, came back, and now he is the second most explosive weapon on this offense. By far and away, their most reliable wide receiver without Wandale Robinson out there. And he just made that huge catch to set up the Saquon Barkley touchdown, 44 yards, as you put it. He's been fantastic, but he is not the highest paid receiver on this roster. That is Kenny Galladay, unfortunately, and Galladay only played 19 snaps. Really one receiver who played less snaps than him, and that was Marcus Johnson. Dude, what is going on with this Kenny Galladay situation at this point, bro? Yeah, I I don't know. I thought maybe him getting making those catches at home against the Lions. I thought he had a couple nice blocks against the Lions out there in space as well, even though that didn't really show up in the Giants rushing totals. But I thought maybe with him being back, being healthy, the Giants could use him and his size, even if not as a receiver, then as a blocker for the screen game or a second level of perimeter blocker for those outside runs. But he is just, he is on a milk carton right now. I, I, I don't know exactly why. Maybe, maybe just all of the injuries have really gotten to him and he just he is even with the state of the Giants wide receiving core not their best option or I should say one of their worst options at wide receiver that just could be the reality right now which you know I feel for the guy I think he wants to be out there I think he wants to be a giant and he wants to be helping the team win and Given what he's being paid, the Giants definitely need to get something for that money, but it it just might not be there to give. And guys like Isaiah Hodgins might be the better option for the Giants right now, which is unfortunate. They are the better option, guys like Isaiah Hodgins. And you brought the milk carton. Look, that milk is long expired. Kenny Galladay never really arrived. (laughs) He signed that contract. And unfortunately, and I'm not saying this to be mean or chastise him, I think the surgeries have caught up to this individual. And it's actually sad because I don't think he's dogging it. You know, that's kind of a narrative. I think he's out there. He's blocking his ass off on some of these plays. But when you watch him release off the line of scrimmage, Chris, it's just not there, bro. There's no explosiveness. He can't threaten anybody vertically. So, 
people are staying on top of his routes. I feel like maybe the Giants can work the back shoulder game with him sometimes along the sideline, but he's not your best option in 11 personnel. And that's an unfortunate reality because the Giants are signing guys off other practice squads, bringing them in, and they're earning significantly more snaps than a guy who's getting paid $72 million. So it, that's the reality of the situation. I feel like most Giant fans have accepted it, albeit we do not love it at this point, but it is what it is. And another point I wanted to bring up, just because Marcus Johnson aligned seven times uh, on this football field. And a lot of those snaps, I think like three of them were in 11 personnel package with Marcus Johnson, about three yards off the numbers to one side and Darius Slayton, three yards off the numbers to another side. Every time the giants have done this against a middle of the field, closed look and through the football, it was a deep shot one-on-one. -on -one. I think teams are just going to start picking up on that because Marcus Johnson has deep speed. Darius Slayton has deep speed. They're both very wide, creates one-on-one -on -one matchups with that middle of the field, close safety. Daniel Jones does a great job in those situations, holding that safety in place. Typically he's going to take the shot to Darius Slayton. He did twice in this game in those same formations. We saw it also earlier in the season as well. So it's just a little tendency that I think teams are going to start picking up on. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think if we noticed it, NFL defensive, defensive coordinators, they have definitely noticed it. It'll be interesting to see if they change their, change what they do when the Giants show that look, maybe attempt to rotate a safety out and give a middle of the field open uh, too deep coverage, something like that, or maybe try to call a blitz to get the quick pressure before either of those players could beat the corner opposite them. So like you said, just something to take note of and keep track of as the season continues to develop. Yes, sir. Alrighty, though. Before we get into Kayvon Thibodeau's big day and this defensive performance from the New York football giants, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors here at SB Nation. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right, Chris, let's talk about the defense. We have to start with number five. Kayvon Thibodeau had his breakout performance, and it sucks that he didn't get a sack here, but he hit the quarterback five times, had nine pressures, and honestly, it should have been 10 pressures with six quarterback hits because arguably his best pass rushing rep was on that phantom Darnay Holmes call that defensive holding call that no one seemed to realize except for the referee who threw the laundry on the field. So what do you make of Kayvon Thibodeau's big day? 
Yeah, I think he's to the point where the game is the pro game is slowing down for him. You saw him get some excellent jumps off the line of scrimmage. At one point, it was almost too fast that uh, Rodarius Williams, which interception, which we're going to talk about, you know, that was very close to a neutral zone infraction by Thibodeau. I think he's timing the snap very well. I think what he part of what he's doing is he's reaching the point in his development where he is watching the tape and learning opposing quarterbacks tendencies their their cadences and using being able to put that to work to time his own pass rush he is getting off the ball very quickly and he's using his length and his hands better than he was earlier in the year as well i thought he did a great job keeping himself clean and for some reason Dallas did try to block him with a tight end one-on-one a few times and whenever he had that matchup he absolutely took advantage of it he did and there were a couple times towards the end of the game when Dallas was trying to bleed the clock but the game wasn't quite yet over Dalton Schultz fell victim to Kayvon Thibodeau and Thibodeau was really aggressive and really did a great job setting the edge. Cause look, you can have a huge impact as a pass rusher and that's all well and good, but you need to be able to set the edge. You need to be a sound run defender or your snaps are going to be limited. And Kayvon Thibodeau, man, that's not something a lot of people discussed heading into the draft last year, but he is a damn good and smart run defender typically is always in position. I think he had one play where he lost contain happens. Sometimes he's a rookie, but overall I've been very impressed with how he uses his hands, his power and his ability to set a firm edge to force cutback to force a cutback towards those pursuing defenders from the backside. Yeah. Kayvon is, I think developing very rapidly. Yeah. I, I'm not sure if he's in the exactly the same place as Aiden Hutchinson is because, you know, we we've seen Hutchinson pretty consistently make big impact plays, but Thibodeau is very consistently a problem for opposing offenses. And I think both as the giants continue to fill out and build their roster and as Thibodeau continues to improve, he is going to be an impact player for the Giants. Now, I, I don't know if he's going to be a top 10, top five edge in the NFL or just a consistently very good edge defender. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know if he's going to be Von Miller or just Justin Tuck out there, but I think a lot of Giants fans would be happy to have another Justin Tuck. They would love to have another Justin Tuck. And I'll say, if anybody wants to see a breakdown on Kayvon Thibodeau's game against Dallas, head on over to Big Blue View. I just did a YouTube recently on that on his performance, so you guys can go and check that out. Hopefully, you will enjoy that. And also, the Giants designated Aziz Ojolari to return to practice. That doesn't mean he's going to be back on the field quite yet, but I really think the presence of Aziz Ojolari will take such a burden off of Kayvon Thibodeau and also force the opposing offense to do something a little bit different from a protection standpoint. To, to They can't just focus as much on Thibodeau, which we've seen kind of throughout this season, although this game there were times where he took advantage of a one-on-one matchup against a tight end. But Chris, another area of the field where the Giants need to get some healthy bodies back is the secondary. Now, Watching the secondary going into this game, I was like, this is a tall task going up against CeeDee Lamb and Michael Gallup, Dak Prescott. But I'll say this, man. 
That secondary, albeit they were they were carved up a little bit towards the end of the game, they had a lot of contested catches. It wasn't like they were just absolutely getting burned. Like I felt like Rodarius Williams looked pretty good in this game. Yeah, he had the interception, he had the PBU, but even without those things, he was in phase most of the reps. There were a couple times where he was beat, but I came away quite pleased with what Rodarius Williams was able to put on tape. Yes, I I thought so as well. You know, the the Giants corners played they played their asses off out there and that worked against them occasionally but they did force Dak Prescott to make a ton of tight window throws he had to thread the needle a lot now he also is absolutely unafraid to challenge coverage I think and we talked about Mike McCarthy's decision making especially in the first half the Dallas offense was playing hyper aggressive. They were taking shots down the field at the drop of a hat. They were acting like they had absolutely no respect at all for the Giants secondary. They didn't view the Giants secondary as a problem. And I think they made the uh, the decision to go for it on a fourth and two from their own 40-yard line because they also did not respect the Giants offense at all so they wanted to come out aggressive to really seize control of the flow of the game and force the Giants out of their game plan like we saw the Detroit Lions do when they were able to bookend halftime with touchdowns and just rack up 14 unanswered points but the Giants defense especially in the beginning they stepped up and they really kept Dallas from seizing control of the game like that. They did. And it's unfortunate the offense couldn't really make them pay. And I know a lot of people are kind of punching at Darnay Holmes, but covering CeeDee Lamb in the slot is not an assignment that Darnay Holmes should be handling consistently. And early in the game, he actually had some really good reps. The interception by Julian Love was caused because Darnay Holmes played through the catch point and got a piece of the football to pop it into the air. Just down the stretch of the game, CeeDee Lamb just got the best of him. And that's going to happen because CeeDee Lamb is arguably, you know, a top six wide receiver in the National Football League. So there were some highs, there were some lows. The lows were a lot lower than the highs were high, but Darnay Holmes is what he is at this point. And if you're going to consistently roll out man coverage on CD Lamb and just trust, you know, five foot nine, five foot ten Darnay Holmes against him, you're going to end up eventually losing that matchup, which is unfortunate. It, it really is. Uh, Holmes, I thought, like you said, he his highs were pretty good. His lows were pretty bad. He is a player who I think has to win through pl- through playing hard, through playing aggressive, and that is going to work against you at at points because good receivers, they can learn your tendencies too. And they play a game-long chess match with the DB, and they can kind of train the DB to expect certain things in certain situations, which then gives the receiver the advantage because they can just do something unexpected. And also when you've got a player like CD lamb who can make those tough con- contested catches, he had a, he had a couple bad drops, but he also had a couple amazing catches. And <laughs> I got to say credit where it is due Dak Prescott. Once he was able to adapt to the giants pressure packages, when 
he stopped being quite so aggressive, taking the shots downfield and began to see, I think, how Wink Martindale was rotating the coverages and where the pressure was coming from. He made some really very impressive throws. Yeah, Dak Prescott, Once I think you put it well, man, because Wink Martindale was aggressive, and he was running cover zero, and he was trying to get after Dak. And early in the game, it worked, but man, did Prescott really carve up the Giants blitzes later in the game. And on some of those blitz plays, they were like third and longs. And that was one of the biggest, I guess, discussion points post-game about the New York Giants, which isn't a surprise because their young secondary played well, but eventually it was going to come up and, and bite them in the rear end because Dallas dug themselves out of so many bad situations that they found themselves in primarily by their own accord, just taking dumb pre-snap penalties. Like you're at home on national television. How many false start penalties did they have? I know in total they had 13 penalties for 86 yards, but man, dude, they were able to just consistently dig themselves out with chunk plays on either second and incredibly long or third and incredibly long. Like the Dalton Schultz touchdown, like they got themselves into a third and 15, Chris. And then Dalton Schultz beats Nick McLeod. Nick McLeod is a much smaller defender than Dalton Schultz. Dak Prescott puts a beautiful pass up there. Schultz catches it. It's just plays like that were, I think, what proved to be the, the breaking point for the New York Giants defense. You just can't win football games when you can't come up with big plays in third and long situations. Yeah, they, they they call it the money down for a reason. That's when those guys earn their money. And this time it was really the Dallas offense with just the amount of talent they have on that offense with Dak, with those receivers. You've got Ezekiel Elliott, who looked a lot better than I thought he was going to. Tony Pollard, who is one of the more dangerous runners in the NFL. This is really a uh, a game we expected the Giants to lose, but I thought there I thought there was at least a silver lining to be found in how hard the defense fought to at least slow down the Dallas offense. Yeah, and they did a pretty good job. And I want to touch one more thing on Dallas's offense before we get out of here, and it's primarily that rushing attack by Dallas. Ezekiel Elliott ended up going off for 92 yards in this game. Tony Pollard, all things considered, it was bottled up. He ended up having 60 yards, but it was on 18 carries. So someone as explosive as Tony Pollard averaging 3.3 yards per carry, I would sign up for that any day of the week. But the one thing that I noticed, and maybe it's just because I've watched so much New York Giants film over the last several seasons, is just how smooth Zach Martin is and how smooth those interior offensive linemen are climbing up to the second level and locating those linebackers. Like just watching 70 chip down on a one technique or chip the three technique over the tackle and then climb to locate Jalen Smith or Micah McFadden or even Tay Crowder. It's just like, wow, man, that is just so damn smooth. I really wish we had a guard like that. Yeah, absolutely. And then you have those runners. You... Actually, it's particularly Elliot in this game using their vision to locate those holes and turn what could have been a three yard run into a six or seven yard run and stay ahead of the chains. It, I think that kind of rapport between the offensive linemen to allow them to function that smoothly and then between the backfield and the offensive line to know that 
tempo, the pace at which the blocks are going to be established, when the blockers will be where, and where those running lanes eventually will open up. I think that is what the Giants are working towards. And hopefully Joshua Zudu can develop into being something like that as a guard because he and Martin do have relatively similar backgrounds as guys who don't quite fit the mold to be an offensive tackle at the NFL, but they've got the mobility and they've got the quickness that a collegiate tackle at least has. And then they carry that inside. So yeah, hopefully that is, hopefully the giants have that player going forward with some development, obviously. I mean, Martin is one of the best guards in the NFL. I remain high on Josh Zudu, but yeah, Zach Martin is, is fantastic. And the two runs that really it stood out to me, what you were talking about in terms of decisiveness and vision were, was the touchdown run by Ezekiel Elliott, where he just saw the cutback lane and, and hit it for a six yard touchdown run. And then the third and four 16 yard run in the early in the third quarter, when the score was 13 to seven New York. So the giants are up here and it was just Ezekiel Elliott and the Dallas Cowboys taking advantage of linebackers who were over-pursuing on each time. And it wasn't even egregious over-pursuit. It was more just slightly over-pursuing. And Ezekiel Elliott is a really good running back for a reason. He just uses his vision, sticks his foot in the ground. Julian Love was right there on that third and four to make a tackle at the line of scrimmage. But Dak Prescott, of all people, ends up throwing a block on Julian Love and then chipping Jalen Smith. So when you get that kind of contribution from your quarterback in a third and four situation, it's something that probably should be applauded. But good decisive running from Ezekiel Elliott. It's not something that we've said a lot recently recently. So I feel like there's been a lot of negativity around Elliott, a lot of positivity for Pollard, rightfully so. But Elliott had a really good game here against the Giants, which it seems like he always does. Him and Demarcus Lawrence, I swear. Yeah, it's kind of amazing how that happens. Uh, it, maybe it's just the matchups. Maybe it's a, a game that they get themselves up for. But you know what? We're on to Washington. <laughs> We're on to Washington. Chris, do you have anything else on this matchup between the New York football giants and those Dallas Cowboys? Yeah, mostly I'm just hoping the giants will be able to take advantage of the extra few days of rest. Maybe the extra Thanksgiving leftovers, uh, get their feet back underneath them and, and start to get healthy again, because Washington is, they look a lot better than they did when we were looking ahead to this after, or before the Giants bye week. Yeah, Washington, why don't you uh, start Carson Wentz? That'd be excellent. <laughs> nah, that, <laughs> that's mean. But yeah, no, this is a very important game, and hopefully the New York Giants can get back into the win column because they desperately need one at this point of the season. But thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the Chris and Nick Show here on Big Blue View Radio. Please rate, subscribe, review, leave a comment on this podcast, wherever you get podcasts, and also head on over to BigBlueView.com. I have a Kayvon Thibodeau YouTube up there on Big Blue View's YouTube, and I just did a Nick Gates piece on this fantastic game that he just put together against the Dallas Cowboys. But until next time, take care of each other and have a lovely one, everyone. Claude 3 from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point of the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skill and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest-cost model on the market, 
perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.